Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us as we close out the week in the uh, 10th chapter of Exodus. Uh, a little heavy today, um, dark, literally, in the first story that we're going to see, and then setting up for um, the, the culmination, kind of the pinnacle of the plagues, which, as you can imagine, even if you don't already know where we're headed, is uh, kind of rough. So let's jump in here, verse 21 of chapter 10. Um, this is the ninth plague, and the plague here is darkness. The Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand. Um, won't read all of this, but there are a couple of things I want to highlight. The first is a line that says, it is a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heavens, and there was a dense darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another. They could not move from where they were. But all the Israelites had light where they lived. So let's maybe stop there, Michael. The plague itself is simply told. Um, there's not any any props to it this time. There's no anything involved. Um, Moses stretches out his hand, and a kind of darkness that is emotional, almost physical in the text, falls upon the land of Egypt. And, you know, the closest thing I think I can uh, equate to this is having been on some cave tours where deep underground they turn off all the lights and you literally right. lose all sense of what is around you, who is around you. It, it is disconcerting. And the idea that this is what happens in Egypt. Now, we don't get told it, it, what happens here. I mean, there's no ex explanation of the mechanism here. It, it is clearly supernatural, especially given that there in one part of the land, the the Israelites have light. So th this is this is not a story that is to be understood. It's one of those stories that we are told in in the lens of faith, and um, it it is there is something about that experience. I, I love this language here: a darkness that can be felt. If you've if you've been in that kind of darkness with fear attached to it, with uncertainty attached to it, there, there is something visceral about that, and that's what happens in Egypt. I think that we should be very attuned to this language of light and darkness, Clint. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a uh, an unmaking happening here. Uh, we have in Genesis God who creates light. And, you know, in the first creation story, it's always worth pointing out that the light comes before the sun. Um, that the light that God makes is a light of God's own choosing. And here, God restricts that light from the people of Egypt. He miraculously uh, continues to shine upon the people of Israel that they might see. And in this darkness, as you've said, that is felt, uh, there's a kind of God-forsakenness in that, a kind of God turning his back upon this nation, uh, e even one that's been warring with God, but but up to this point uh, has been spared this particular experience. And now God, um, by God's own providence and power, um, shrouds the people in darkness. And, and we should know, um, though sometimes I think as people who live with light bulbs, we, we forget uh, that being in darkness is a place of vulnerability. Uh, it, it's a, some people, a lot of people are afraid of the darkness. And one of the reasons that we have that built into us is because uh, we don't know what lurks in the darkness. I mean, as people who 
are very concerned with our own safety by nature of our biology, our reality. Um, this darkness, it is, uh, it has spiritual source, but a physical, practical reality that the the nation now stands swallowed in the darkness. They they can't move. It's so dark. The text goes so far as to tell us, and I think. You know, we should see in that image, Clint, the physicality of it. Uh, we should see in it the spiritual nature of it, you know, that their minds are darkened is the same way that their um, uh, their hearts have been darkened. I mean, there's a there's so many senses in a story like this. We should see them all. No yeah, pun intended. Agreed. <laughs> um, and, and it has an effect. Although we saw this yesterday, the, the Pharaoh... Um, the Pharaoh agrees in part, but not in whole, to letting the people go. Now, whereas before it was, I won't let the children go, now the Pharaoh changes. He says, you can go, go worship the Lord. But he adds this, this limitation, only your flocks and your herds shall remain behind. Even the children may go with you. Um, which, you, if you remember, said would never happen. But now he's willing to make that concession, but he, he limits it at the flocks. The herds cannot go. And Moses answers that they need those to go with them, um, that not a hoof shall left, be left behind because there will be sacrifices. And there's this line that said, um, we will not know what we need until we arrive there. But then we read again, verse 27, language that is familiar to us at this point, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He was unwilling to let them go. And the Pharaoh said to him, to Moses, get away from me. Take care that you do not see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you will die. Moses said, just as you say, I will never see your face again. So th this, the Pharaoh seems to take as the last straw. And not only does he now refuse, he, he was willing to make some concessions. Now he backs up again. There, there's a kind of almost um, uh, a polarity, a polarity to this story where, you know, he, he seems to have one personality than the next. But here at the end, he is unwilling. He, he is not going to allow them. And he warns, he threatens Moses and Aaron with him, we think, uh, get away from me. If you see my face again, that'll be the day you die. And so a, a clear threat here as Pharaoh kind of um, spills over in his anger and in his frustration. But notice the text ends with Moses saying, it is as you say, I will never see your face again. Even here, the Pharaoh doesn't get the last word. Even here, the Pharaoh doesn't get the last threat. Um, those words belong to God and they're spoken through Moses. So there's a few interesting things here at the end of this particular parable, Clint. The one that sticks out to me is we miss the part of the equation where Moses goes and prays or uh, Moses seeks God's face, and in the midst of that, the uh, plague is lifted. Uh, we don't have that uh, happening here. In, in some way, um, we also don't have the common refrain that we've had of the, the Pharaoh uh, finally having too much, making this promise, then the uh, plague being lifted, and then Pharaoh going back on his word. And, and so we've now gotten used to this pattern. Here, 
Pharaoh makes an existential threat against Moses. Uh, He says, uh, if you come again, almost as if to say, uh, I haven't been able to control the plagues. I haven't been able to uh, negotiate on all of these different terms. So then Moses, with your life, I'll negotiate. If you come back next time, Mm -hmm. you are going to die, right? So maybe I can't control all of this, but Moses, your life belongs to me. Uh, I find that really uh, really interesting. Um, and Moses, I'm not sure how to read Moses's line here. I think it could be read many ways. Just as you say, I'll never see your face again. Is that a, a statement of faith, uh, a recognition that God is going to win the upper hand and that therefore Pharaoh's time is numbered? Um, that could be an interpretation of, we're going to be honest, Moses has you know, had a touch-and-go relationship with trusting God in the midst of this process. Another way, I think, of reading that line, I'll never see your face again, uh, is a bit of a slight. You, you know, it may be um, it, it may be him insulting the Pharaoh. I, I, I'm sure it could be read a number of different ways. But I think just the line itself, Clint, um, it ends this plague in a way we've not seen it ended before, where, where there's this conflict— and instead of there being some measure of trickery, here there's a threat. Hmm. Moses meets that threat, sort of calls him on it, and then the story is just going to continue on. Yeah, and you know, I think we've seen throughout these plagues, Michael, that there is a kind of looseness in them. We get told all the animals die, then we have a mention of animals. We get told the the crops are gone, then we have a mention of crops. Um we had yesterday Pharaoh say, I will never let the children go. Then the next story, he says, I'll even let the children go. Um, this is in, Pharaoh is going to, Pharaoh is not going to keep these words. There is another meeting down the road between Pharaoh and Moses. Um, but as the text is walking us through, I think it's, it's giving us these words to try and put us in that moment. With Pharaoh's frustration, you know, the phrase, don't kill the messenger, he's literally about to do that, or at least he's threatening to do that. And and here is where we come as we reach sort of the the backdrop, as, as we reach the pinnacle, the, the, we stand on the verge of the final plague. And I think, you know, we'll probably start the week with that as we move into um, that narrative, that telling, it's in some ways, um, in some ways, it's more carefully told. I think may, maybe more carefully crafted. It's certainly more complicated than most of the plagues we've seen. It's also the most devastating, even though we have seen significant pain in, inflicted upon the Egyptians. The final plague is. Um, undoes them in a way that I think is really powerful. Um, But we'll look at some of that next week. It's hard not to get nine plagues in and feel some sense, Clint, of weariness, I think, especially at the pace that we've taken it, trying to read each plague closely and to to see the patterns, but also to see where those patterns break. Uh, I, I think there's almost in the reading of it, a feeling that is created, a kind of internal struggle in which it's easy to, if we're honest, just become frustrated, frustrated with Pharaoh. I mean, give in, guy, right? I mean, it's clear that you don't stand before God. It's clear that you're not going to get the upper hand. You're not going to win this conflict. And that's 
delivered us exactly to the place uh, where the writer wants us to be. I mean, we've seen uh, the setup from the people being oppressed by this pharaoh to Moses being called this unlikely spokesperson for God. Now we've had nine plagues in which in increasing severity, this conflict between God and Pharaoh has been bore out. And now we stand at coming to the pinnacle, as you say, Clint. And as the reader, uh, there is frustration and, and, and maybe even, fair to say, and a kind of anger leveled against the one who stands in the way of the people. Pharaoh has, has lied every turn at every precipice of every single one of these plagues he he is either uh, looked for an explanation or he's looked for a place to demonstrate his own power or uh, he has actually said a thing and then went back on it and so I think as the reader as we look ahead to next week and we're going to transition into the setting up of the tenth parable I, I think Clint the text has masterfully delivered us to the place where we need to be to set up what is going to be really a a unique kind of moment in the scriptures. The, the kind of devastation that's going to be wrought has other, certainly other judgments and other stories of substantial um, import throughout the Old Testament. But I'm not aware of anything quite exactly like what is going to happen in the 10th parable. And I think the only way that we get to it is through this carefully chosen path up a winding mountain to get there. Yeah. Uh, is know, that fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly there are, there are many moments of destructive power in the Old Testament, but I think as particularly applied in this 10th plague— it is so specific, and it is so clearly an answer to the beginning of the story. Yeah, and and I don't right. want to. I don't want to run ahead. I, we'll get there next week. But I think um, it is a unique story for a couple of reasons, and uh, I hope that you all can hang in there with us just through one more plague, and then we'll get on with the rest of the story. And um, it is the culmination, and you know, it would have been enough if the plagues started here but i think this this yeah. sort of long introduction this as you called it michael a climb to this point only i think heightens the power of the way this story is told i think that's a good summary i think that's enough for today uh friends thanks for being with us i hope that there's been something in this that's been challenging i'm glad that you've made time to join us and hope that you will continue to join us next week uh, two o'clock as we continue on, and we do make our way into this tenth and final uh, uh, particular plague. Have a good weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.